Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I uh, I don't know about y'all, but I, I like old westerns. anybody anybody here is an old western fan? You know, you ever, you ever see those scenes? You know where either the bad guy or the sheriff or somebody go to the door of the saloon and they'll call somebody out. One of my favorites though was Yosemite Sam. <laughs> I love it when Yosemite Sam goes up and he calls somebody out. Come on out to that burn varmint, you know. But God is calling us out. He's calling us out. As a matter of fact, he has already called you out. He's called you out. I mean, he's got something for you to do, and he's got a challenge for you. How many know it's a challenge to live this life? If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? And the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 7 that, <clears throat> that there are two ways that we can go. One is the straight and narrow, and one is the easy path. You know, the straight and narrow is hard. It's, it's difficult to walk the straight and narrow. And, and I've been accused sometimes of being narrow-minded, which is a good thing. It's not bad to be narrow-minded. Because if we're too broad-minded, we'll accept anything that comes along. But God has called us. Now, what do I mean that God has called us out? Well, the Bible says in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who has done what? called you out, called you out of what? Out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, if we live in darkness and we walk in darkness, the Bible even talks about people. There's a certain group of people who love darkness because their deeds are evil. They like to do things under the shadow of darkness because they don't want to be exposed for who they truly are. And the world is full of people like that. But we, as the people of God, we've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And when we walk in the light, we've been talking a lot about light today, haven't we? We've been called out of darkness. We've been translated out of darkness into his marvelous light. And when I say marvelous light, it's marvelous because it's marvelous. God has done great things for us, folks. And and I tell you what, I... Don't want to go back to what I once used to walk in. I was in a fog. I, I remember when I first came to the Lord and just before, I was so burnt out as, a, as an old hippie. I was, a, I was, a, I was a, a, a product of the late 60s and the early 70s. And, you know, thank God I wasn't a few years beyond that or a few years before because, you know, that was some pretty dark times, really. It was dark times because kids were getting in all kinds of stuff. And I was just one of those kids that was kind of led into that and, and got into it. And it, it was dark. I got to the place in my life where, where if somebody would ask my name, I would have to stop and think. I'm serious. I mean, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. It was that bad. And, and just, just mind numb. And the devil loves it when we're that way. He loves it when we just allow ourselves to become so, so blinded by things that, that we, don't, we can't see, we can't, we can't think. 
And I, I want to read this whole passage of Scripture to you in 1 Peter chapter 2. I said 2 Peter, but it's 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I want to read it out of the New, uh, New Living Translation. It says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Everybody say behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that is building into his spiritual temple, that he, that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Now, I want to pause there for just a second, because the priests of God were priests they couldn't just be, I mean, if you go back to the Old Testament and you, and you see what happened in, 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 in the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, Judah stayed true to the oracles of God and they only allowed priests that were of the Levitical bloodline. They had to be born into the bloodline. But in Samaria, in the kingdom of Israel, in the northern kingdom, they allowed, they would bring priests in from just any bloodline and establish them as priests. And they would put, you know, shrines and places of worship all over Samaria. They call them the high places. And, and they would put these high places of worship. They would just get all of these um, unauthorized priests to serve. Well, they were not priests that God had ordained. But in Judah, they stayed true to the bloodline. Now, what is that saying to us? You are a royal priesthood. Now, what does that mean? You are only a priest, and you can only be qualified as a royal priest when you are born of the bloodline of royalty. And when we're born into the kingdom of God, and the king is our father, what does that make you? Royal. And because you are a royal priests, God has given you the ability to not only serve as, as one who leads in worship or leads in, in the oracles of God, but he's given you the ability to be a representative to act on his behalf. We become a bridge builder for God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And, and he goes on, he says, he says that, that this pleases God. Talks about Jesus, that he's the stone that the builder rejected. And I'm going to go on down. He says in verse 19, or verse 10, verse 9 says, As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received, you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that war against your souls. Be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Be careful. 
Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Now God has called you out. Now uh, that, that brings me to this particular word. It's a little Greek word and some of you may have seen it. As a matter of fact, there's a church in town, one of our good friends, pastors, it's called the Ecclesia. Now what does Ecclesia mean? Ek means out of. Klesia, called. So we're called out. We are the called out ones as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if we've been called into his marvelous light, we've been called for a purpose. And that is to give glory to God, to show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood. God has called us as the called out ones. He's called us out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of his eternal salvation. Now, what is the result of being called out? Number one. We're doomed to stand before the judgment of God with no recourse, for we're guilty as charged. We were under God's wrath, but now, everybody say now, we've received God's mercy. We have received God's mercy. Now, what is mercy? Y'all know what mercy is. You know what grace is, of course. Grace is undeserved favor. Mercy is just the opposite of that in that we don't get what we deserve. Grace, we get, we, do, we, do, we get what we don't deserve. Mercy, we don't get what we do deserve. Wow, think about that. Now, one time we were destined for an eternity in hell. We had no recourse. But because of what Jesus did, because of the work he did at Calvary, we've been called out. We've been called out of, out of darkness, out of the judgment of God into his marvelous light. And we now stand in the light of God's mercy. Number two, we had no spiritual identity. We were orphans. But now we are God's people. We're people by his own choice. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you realize that you never chose God, but he chose you? Of course, you had to make the choice to accept the invitation. But God chose you before the foundation of the world. You were predestined by God to become conformed to the image of his son. That was his desire for you. That was the predestined part. God reserved heaven for you. He's, he's, he's created a mansion. He's in my father's house are many mansions. And if it weren't so, I would have told you so. God is going to, Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. And if it weren't so, he would have told you that. He would have told you that too. But God has called us and he, and he is, uh, has brought us into an identity that we didn't have before. We are God's people. We're called what? Christians. <laughs> We're Christians. And if we live in America, we are Americans. And if we live in Mexico, we are Mexicans. But because we are of Christ, we are Christians. We're followers of Jesus. That's what makes us a Christian. Not that we just say that we are, but that we truly are followers of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. We had no spiritual identity, but now we do. Thank God. I love being identified with Christ. I don't know about you. But I appreciate that fact. Now, number three, we are a royal priesthood. And the only way, like I said, someone could become a priest was by birth. We had to be born uh, in, in the Old Testament. They had to be born from the lineage of Levi under the Mosaic law. But now we are born again. Amen. We're born again. 
And, and, and I can't even pronounce that word, but I put it up there for you. It's palagenesia. Palagenesia. Palin means again. And Genesis means new or born anew. Born again. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. We have a new identity. Our old identity is gone. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, everybody say old things have passed away. So that means our old nature has passed away. You know, somebody told me one time as a believer that they couldn't change the personality, but I disagree. Because as a believer in Christ, we are a new creation. Everything is being regenerated. We're being, we're being changed from the inside out. We're born again. There's a regeneration happening inside of us. There is something new that is taking place in us. We're being changed. Every day, Paul said, you know, I die daily. Though the outward man perish, he says in Romans chapter 8, he says, the inward man is being renewed into the image of Christ. That's what is happening inside of us. So we've been called out of darkness. We've been called into a new life. We have a new identity. We're born again by the Spirit of God. And number four, because of that, we are of a holy nation. We are of a kingdom of priests and, and kings chosen to rule and reign with Christ. So now we're called to show others the goodness of God. We're representatives. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are ambassadors of Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? We are representative. With the authority of the one that we represent. He didn't just call us to be a representative of his with no authority, but he gave us authority. What did he give us authority over? He gave us authority over a lot of things. Over the enemy. You, do you know you have authority over the devil? You outrank him. You got more power than he does. You got the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Greater is he. That is in me than he that's in the world. Everybody say greater, not less than. So when the enemy comes and he tries to mess with you, as they said on the Outer Banks, he tries to mommy you. You, rec- you, just, you just point your finger at him and say, look, Mr. Devil, I outrank you. You're under my feet. You have no authority over me. You've been stripped. You might run around roaring like a, like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. But you're not devouring me and you're not devouring my family. And you're not devouring my church and you're not devouring my country. I stand in front of you and I take authority over you. And I have that authority in the name of Jesus. These signs shall follow them that believe. Do you believe? In my name they shall cast out devils. In my name, they shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. They shall drink any deadly thing that won't harm them. In my name, they shall lay hands on the sick. And they possibly might, maybe, recover. Is that what it says? What does it say? They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What does shall mean? It means they will. It means that they shall recover. 
So God has given us great authority over the enemy. Because we are of a holy nation, we are kings and priests chosen to rule and reign with Christ so that now we can show others the goodness of God. We've been called out. We're not of this world. We don't belong to it. Paul wrote to the Philippian believers and he said in Philippians 3, 17 through 20, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they only think about life here on the earth. Wow. Does that sound familiar? We all get wrapped up in what's going on around us and we get so engrossed in, in, in everyday life that we forget about eternity. When the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, set your mind on things above where Christ dwells, not on things of the earth. Paul goes on to say in verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven. Would you say that with me? But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for his return as our Savior. Are you eager for the coming of the Lord? Or do you kind of like say, Lord, don't do it right now because i got some things going on I need to take care of first and then you can come. No. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready for it. One thing that we must realize as a people of God, he's called out, the called out ones, that we are called to be separate. To be called out means that you are separate. You separate yourself from the things of the world. You're, not, you're in this world, but you're not of it. The Bible is full of warnings to the body of Christ, the church, to separate themselves from the sinful desires and the activities of the world. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, all the way through to chapter 7, verse 1. He says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And you probably recognize this as being, don't be, unyoked, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. But he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Now, sometimes we have a tendency to pick and choose scriptures and pull them out to fit a particular application. And what application have you always heard this in relation to? Marriage. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And that is important that we don't marry somebody who doesn't believe like we do, who doesn't walk in faith the same way that we do because you're unequally yoked. But Paul is putting it in a broader perspective when he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be believers, can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God says, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, whenever you see that word, therefore, what do you have to do? Stop and consider what it's there for. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will accept you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. If there's no other reason for us to want to separate ourselves from the filthiness and the things of this world, the fear of God should be the thing that does it for us. Because we fear God, we stand in awe of Him, and we realize that in order to approach a holy God, we must be holy, for He is holy. And the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So if we want to see God, we want to, to, to bask in His holiness, then we've got to be holy. And the only way to do that is to have a holy, reverential fear of God in our hearts, recognize who He is. He's not that man upstairs. Get that out of your minds. I hate that saying. I want to slap somebody every time I hear it. Talk about the man upstairs. He's no man. He is, a, he is God. He is not man that he should lie. He's a God of truth. He never changes. We change all the time. But he is not a man. He is not an Adam. He is God and he is holy. And we reverence him. And we separate ourselves from the things that break his heart. The things that are an affront to him. But if we have no fear of God, if we can reject God, if we can say there is no God, then we remove the fear of God away from things. Then we can do whatever we want and we can change the rules any way we want. And that's what we have done. Even in the church... Even in the church. And I want to remind you that when judgment begins, and judgment will begin if it hasn't already. When judgment begins, guess where it starts? In the church. Judgment begins in the house of God. And who's going to be judged more strictly? Who's going to be judged with greater judgment as those who know? And they deny the power and the authority of God and they have no fear of God. And they act any way they want to, do anything they want to without fear of God thinking. And we pull out the grace card every time. Oh, he loves me. Oh, there's no discipline in God. I can do whatever I want to. I can get away with it. Because God loves me. All I got to do is just, just fess up. I messed up, Lord. That's not repentance, folks. I'm sorry. I messed up. I made a mistake. You know, one of the things that stands out to me is David. When David was fingered by Nathan, the prophet. And he was told, you're the man. David's response was a broken heart. He was brokenhearted before God and, and, and he came to that place where he goes into the temple and he lays on his face before God and he fasts and he won't even move. And the cry of his heart, he writes it down in words in Psalm 51. And his cry of agony of soul and of spirit, a broken and contrite spirit that will not despise, O Lord. 
He says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Those are the things that are precious to David. He wasn't so concerned about his kingdom and everything else. He wanted the presence of God back. He wanted the joy of the Lord, the joy of his salvation. He wanted those things. Those were the things that are important. Listen, folks, as people of God, when we are are, are growing cold before God and we we begin to wander away from the things of God and we we begin to do things that, that we know are not pleasing to him and our spirits begin to grow cold and the light begins to grow dim and we begin to get farther and farther away from the flame that is a hard place to be it's a hard place to be that's where David was you see David poured his heart out to God and he didn't make excuses he repented sometimes we make excuses before God Lord you know how hard it is you know how hard it is to live this walk, to, to do these things. And, and anyway, I want to move on. Hmm. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. God's calling us out. He's calling us out of darkness. He's called us out of sinful living and identification with the world and our former identity into our new identity as his chosen people, his chosen children. Know who you are in Christ. I am a child of God. That very thing right there. That's the thing that, that keeps me so many times from, from wandering into sin or doing things that are displeasing to God. I'm his child. I represent him. I don't want to be an affront to God. I want to represent him with integrity. And so we are, we're, we're a royal priesthood. And the only way that, that we can do that, of course, is, is, is by allowing the Holy Spirit to live in us. We, couldn't, we shouldn't feel um, comfortable in our sins. We should be convicted about them. I, I know a lot, of, a lot of pastors, and I've talked to a lot of pastors. And I in no way want to offend anyone. But sometimes I do. Because the gospel is offensive to some people. It's just offensive. It, it's an affront to what they're involved in. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and you can take it any way you want. But, you know, we can dress a pig up in a, in a, in a nice dress, but it's still going to be a pig. We can wash it. We can put perfume on it. It's still going to be a pig. But sin is sin. And maybe we're not as full as we probably could be because we're not out to make people comfortable in their sin. That's not what we're here for. I pray that when you come here, instead of being comfortable in your sin, that you're convicted of your sin to the point that you can't stand it anymore and you have to repent. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you the truth. That's what God has called us for. We shouldn't be comfortable in our sins. We should be convicted. We're called to be a holy people. Those who are set apart, we're holy unto God. We're set apart for Him. But if we, if we cannot be holy, if we're not separated from our sin, Jesus came to save us from our sin, not in our sin. Amen. He came to take us out of darkness, not leave us in it. Yes. And if we've lost our saltiness, What good are we? 
except to be trodden underfoot by the world. God's calling us out. But why is he calling us out? In Deuteronomy, there's a, there's a verse of Scripture that stands out to me in chapter 6. Moses is in the, in the last days of his life, and he knows it. There's a transference taking place, and he's preparing Joshua to take over as his successor. But he's standing before the people, and he's, he's addressing them. And he addresses them several times before the transition takes place. And this is just before they are to go across the Jericho into Jordan, or across the Jordan into Jericho, and, and to begin to, to take over, the, you know, to, to claim the promised land. And Moses is, is, is telling the people to observe the law. And he goes over the law again. And he, he lays out the, the commandments before them. And he, he, he tells them about it. And, and, and he gets more emphatic about it in, verse, in chapter 28. But here he says something. He says that in Deuteronomy 6.23, he, he's talking about how God brought them out of Egypt. And he says... He brought us out from there in order to bring us in. He brought us out to bring us in. Egypt represents the bondage of sin and Pharaoh represents the devil himself. God had to deal with Pharaoh. He dealt a crushing blow to him and destroyed him. For this reason was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 and 8. But he brought us to this place, and God has brought you to this place in order to take you in to your inheritance. He's brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light in order to bless you, to give you his promises. And the promises in God are always yes and amen. But you see, we cannot claim the promises of God if we hold on to the things of Egypt. And many of the people that started out from Egypt did not reach the promised land and they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief and because they shrunk back. Don't shrink back. Don't let there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. But believe in the promises of God. Believe in your destiny. Believe in who you are in Christ. Move forward in the things of God. He's called you out in order to bring you in. And in James 4, 1 through 4, it says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts of, among you? It's not the source of your pleasures, the wars the, that wage war in your members. You lust, you have wanton desire, and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the choice is yours. You're going to be a friend of God or you want to be an enemy of God? Wow, think about that. Do you want to be a friend of God? Abraham was a friend of God. What made him a friend of God? It was his thinking and the choices he made in his thinking. He chose to believe God. He believed the promises of God. He called those things which were not as though they were. Why did he call them that? Because God had promised. Sometimes we don't get the things that we want from God immediately, so we begin to doubt God. We begin to get caught in unbelief. 
But if you ask God, he will give you what you ask. I'll, I'll leave that where it's at. We'll pick up on it another time. The world has nothing for us because we're not of it. Mark 8, 34 says, If you want to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, which is your, your selfish, sinful, used up old life, you're going to lose it anyway. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? So God has called us out to bring us in. His desire is to release us from the sins of our past and to give us a brand new life. And the more we can turn loose of the past and enter into the truth of his word, the more we can experience the wonderful things that he has for us. For 2 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen or ear heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? No doubt you do. If you do, understand that he loves you and he has so much in store for you, but you've got to separate yourself from the things that hinder you and hold you back in order to move into you the, the, the destiny that God has for you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, and I'm going to quit. It says, it says, since we are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everybody say weight. Now, what are the things that weigh us down? Hurts, offenses, things of the past, besetting sins. Those little things, you know, those little foxes that spoil the vine. He says, let us lay aside every hindrance and every besetting sin and let us do what? Run the race with patience. Let us run the race with endurance, looking under Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the leader. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Somebody told me something one time that has stood with me for 40 years. As a young believer, someone told me, there are two things you need to realize, son. If you'll do these things, you'll be all right. Just remember this. Keep your eyes on Jesus and remember it's nothing but the blood. Those words have rang in my ears over the years. Keep your eyes on Jesus and remember it's nothing but the blood so true you've been listening to destiny city church a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their god-given destiny for more information visit us online at destinycity.org